This morning I want to open our Bibles up to Exodus chapter 4. This is the last little bit um, of Scripture that I want to talk about um, regarding Moses. And we've been talking about this for four weeks. I, I believe this is the fifth week. And so I've really enjoyed looking at the life of Moses to understand that much like Jesus, Moses was a seed and that God uh, really brought many people to life through his obedience, his faithfulness, and that our life would be like Moses. And he didn't do everything perfect. Um, He didn't do everything just the way God intended, but God still still used him and he can still use you even though you don't do all the right things as well. And so I think it's story is fitting. I think it's encouraging. And at the same time, I think it's challenging. And I love, I love this story. So today I want to really, I really want to consider something that I think is um, important, that if we're going to let this, if we're going to let the seed of the kingdom work in our lives, there's something that we have to remove from our lives for that to happen. Um, And it's flesh. And so the title of my sermon before we even read the scripture is that flesh blocks the seed. Flesh blocks the seed. Exodus 4, uh, verse 18 through 26 says this. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. And then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hands, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all the wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hands." Now, notice that the wonders are not his works. Now, works are important. But the wonders that will be put on display were already entrusted into his hand. We tend to want to work wonders with our hands instead of trusting what God has put into our hands. Um, That's another side topic, and I really don't have time to go into it, but I thought I would just drop that little snippet in there for you today. Uh, But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him, meaning Moses. God met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a bloody husband to me. Now, those of you that don't think the Bible is exciting, read this scripture. So he let them go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood. Because of the circumcision. So what we have here is we have Moses who has just spoken to God. God's spoken to Moses from the midst of a burning bush that burned but did not uh, burn up. 
And uh, the, so God begins to speak to him. Moses hears a word from him. He begins to argue with God. They kind of have what we referred to last week as a bit of a wrestling match. And the same God that Jethro served, Moses is talking to. And Moses had just spoken to this God on the mountain. So Moses then goes up and he finds Jethro and he begins to tell him. Um, uh, notice here he says, Now, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. So he goes to Jethro and he says, Lord, let me go to Egypt, that I want to go to Egypt. I think it's important for us to note here, and I, I, I've spent... I mean, hours trying to figure out how to relay this, the, the importance of this, particularly with me in the position I'm in, in, in the life of our church, as the pastor, as the leader of this church. It gets very difficult at times to speak about biblical principles when they directly impact me or they reflect uh, my position, or they're dealing with my position versus a layperson's position. It's very difficult to preach about it because you don't want to be misunderstood. You definitely don't want to be a person who um, seems like they, they throw their weight around and they have to be in charge and all those kind of things. But I think that this is a biblical principle that we really need to talk about. And um, let's just start off, before we talk about the position of authority that Jethro is in, Let's, let's look at the way that Moses approached him because I believe that today in our culture we have a lot to learn from Moses and the way that he approached uh, he, the one that was in authority over him, which was his father-in-law Jethro. He didn't come out of the mountain flaunting his spiritual experience. Moses didn't. He didn't act like he was better than Jethro. Now, you, you need to understand that Moses had just spoken to God the same God that Jethro served but did not know. The same God that Jethro served but did not have an experience like Moses had had. And so a lot of times in life, what we tend to do when we have an encounter with God is we go to people that have not had a similar encounter and we begin to flaunt our experience as if we are special, acting like we're better than someone. This is what attacks submission the most in our life. We begin to make comparisons about our experience versus someone else's experience. And we can no longer submit to people because our, we, we have elevated ourselves and flaunted our encounters with God to such a degree that we can no longer submit. We live in a generation, there was a, there was a poll taken by Barna just recently, and, and in this poll um, it said that Children nowadays, Brooke, what was the percentage of children that said this about the? A majority of children today, and I can't remember what the percentage was, but a majority of children today, when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, they do not say, I want to be a basketball player. They do not say, I want to be an actress or an actor. They do not say, I want to be a fireman. They say, I want to be famous. And, and I believe today that this attitude, and particularly, I don't know if that's social media or 
Everything has been microwaved. All all of our experiences have been microwaved into this position where it doesn't take time to get somewhere. You you can do something so much faster in our culture today, and people just want to be famous. They they want to forsake. They don't care how they're famous. They just want to be famous. And I came here today to tell you, if you want to be famous, you can be famous, but you may not like what you have to do to become that, particularly in our culture. And so we tend to flaunt our experiences to puff ourselves up. And notice that Moses didn't do that. Notice that Moses didn't even say he talked to God. Notice the way that he, he leaves the encounter out of it as, as, so he does not flaunt it. And actually, he begins to use this experience as a test. It is the final test to see if God can speak to me, can he speak to my spiritual authority? And if he can, then maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not delusional. Maybe I haven't lost it. Maybe God is really doing something here. I want to encourage you today for all those that are listening to the sound of my voice. I want to encourage you and say, although I may may be preaching a message that we need to trust our spiritual authority, those that God has put in charge over us and for our good, that at the same time we need to trust them, God will also tell them what they need to know if it is you're at a place where you need to be released. Neither did he use his spiritual experience to manipulate Jethro's decision, meaning he didn't say, well, God told me, and he showed up in a bush, and he did this, and so Jethro, will you let me go? Moses went to Jethro and said, I pray thee, let me go. Because Moses knew If it was really God, see Jethro, this was the final test so that Moses could be sure that he had not lost his mind. See, some of you, because you've had an experience with God, we can't tell you nothing. And there are folks in the church walking around saying, I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what my leaders say. I don't care what my mentor says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my parents say. I know what God told me. I don't care what my pastor says. I don't care what my friends say. Because you see, Jesus walked into my room, opened the door, sat down on the end of my bed, and began talking to me. And he began to reveal all the things that God wants to do with me. So then what do you do with the scripture that says we should submit to earthly authority? Because we, the reality is we cannot trust our own Mind, and we cannot trust our own heart. This is why God puts us together. Because there are some things in your life that you cannot see about yourself, that it requires people in your life that we are to submit to. Listen, we've been talking in our small groups about how this works in a family. And the reason why we have lost the respect and honoring authority in our church and in our world, not just politically, but in our church, we don't respect authority in the church is because we don't respect it in the home. We don't respect submission. We don't honor it. We don't put it at a place where we understand that submission is the conduit by which unity is achieved in our lives. Submission. 
And so I think that what I love about the small group is that it starts with the family units. We should submit one to another. What is the one thing that attacks submission? Is our personal walk with God and us taking and flaunting that as if we know better so we don't have to submit to you because I've had an encounter. I've seen this in marriages all the time. I'll talk with people and I'll hear, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of times it comes from wives and I'm not attacking women here today, but we live in a generation where it is preached that men should be the leader of the home and this is a biblical mandate for the church. But what we have is I have many times I'll have women come into my office and they'll say, well, if my husband would be a believer and if he would seek God as much as I seek God and if he would read the Bible as much as I read the Bible and if he would love God as much as I love God, then I could submit to him. And I'm just going, yeah, see, this is the heart where we begin to put our encounter with God, our relationship with God above people so that and, and for the sake that we do not have to submit to them anymore. And, and, and God is really challenging us on this in this particular text. He's saying, hey, listen, I need for you to take your flesh and remove your flesh that you can begin to understand and, and, and submit the way that I want you. You need to notice all through this text, flesh gets in the way of what, of what God is trying to accomplish. There is multiple opportunities for flesh to get in the way of what God is trying to accomplish. Thank God that Moses did something right because he did a lot wrong. But in this particular text, at this point, he actually goes and does not flaunt his encounter. He trusts that his encounter is true. And if God can speak to him, then listen, Moses believed that God could speak to the one that was in spiritual authority over him. So many of us don't care what people have to say to us because God spoke to me. Listen, we need to submit to earthly authority because we cannot trust our own mind because we... all through the Bible, can be easily deceived. And I'm going to say this, and I think this is important because I think we're growing in this, in this particular thing, especially prophetic people. Now, there are some people in our fellowship that have the gift of prophecy. There are some people in our fellowship that are beginning to incline their ears to the Holy Spirit and hear from the Holy Spirit, and especially prophetic people. So you have to have men of integrity and women of integrity. So when you have a legitimate experience... If God really called you, don't think that he can't tell the one that's in authority over you that he called you. I'm here to say the most controversial thing I think I've ever said in the life of our church. And I I wrote this down and I debated and I prayed about whether I wanted to say it or not. But I think it's important that we preach this in a world where no one honors and respects authority. No one. We don't respect our teachers. We don't respect our president. We don't respect our pastors. We don't respect anyone. We don't respect those we're married to, we've entered into covenant with. We don't respect our friends. The only time we value people's wisdom and the only time we value people's gifting and the only time we value people's opinion opinions if it lines up with ours. We live in a very disrespectful, dishonoring situation where everything revolves around us. So I'm going to say the most controversial thing I think I've ever said. I believe this. If God didn't tell your leader, then he didn't tell you. 
I can't believe I just said that because I, I, I remember when I entered into ministry, there were people that were spouting that ridiculousness and, and saying that it made me mad. And I remember thinking, how arrogant of us to be in a place where we believe that God has to speak to, to those that are spiritual authority over us for, for us to know that it's God that has spoken. But that's the way God set it up. God often spoke to leaders before he spoke to the people. And I want you to know that if God has said something to you, he will tell your leader. He will let him know. If you have a call on your life, God will tell your leader. I remember, um, I remember, sorry, this isn't centered, and I'm, I just can't take it no more. So, there. Okay, I remember uh, right before we moved here, I was working at a church. Now, I think it's not centered this way. Okay, that's better. Um, so, <laughs> so sorry, I can't believe this is on video. I, I remember... I remember right before we moved here, uh, I worked at a church in Michigan, and um, I had received a call from some friends to plant a church here in the area. There were we had we'd only been at that church as youth pastors for like a year, like a little over a year. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I actually in the call there we have a few people we, we've always wanted to plant a church. This is our opportunity to plant a church, and I was like, oh, okay, well that's nice and cute and all, but I'm not doing that. I said no. And then they call back, and I said no. And they call back, and I said no. And they call back, and I said no. And now I can't say it was five times, but it was a lot of times. And, and I remember saying no, no, no. And then there was just several nights where I just couldn't sleep, and I be- be- believed that God maybe was telling me something. And, and I, had wor- I worked for a man who I very much cherish and appreciate. His name is Dr. Alan Deuce. And, and I, I remember thinking, I, I have to go talk to him about this. Now, I didn't, I, I tr- truly felt like God was telling me to go plant a church, but I, and I felt like I was leaning towards doing that, but I needed to go talk to my, the one that was in authority over me. So I went to him, and, I, and here's how I posed the question. I said, Pastor, I've not been able to sleep the last several nights, and I just have this opportunity that has arose that I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. And he, he said to me, is it planting a church? And I said, actually, yes, it is. It's, it's the, there's an opportunity to plant a church. He said, well, here in this district, um, I've been talking to the DS, and they're, they're, we're wanting to use you as a church planner right here on this district. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, so we talked about that, and, and the conversation kind of went on. And in the conversation, he said, I, I believe, I, I knew that when we hired you, I knew you would not be here very long. And I knew, and when we hired you, one of the person on the, on the board said, listen, we can either hire somebody that has the gifts that we want and know that they won't be here long, or we can hire somebody else and they can stay forever, but they may not have the gifts we want. And so they chose, they said, we chose to hire you knowing you wouldn't be here. And I know that it's probably not best for you to, I want selfishly for you to plant a church in this district, but I believe God has gifts and graces on your life that you're supposed to go and I, I support this, I endorse this, and I think this is God. And I remember walking out of that feeling so relieved and feeling like, hey, you know, this was... Because I had had, in Bible college, I had had multiple people tell me that I would never be able to plant a church. I didn't have the gifts for it. I wouldn't do it. So it was just encouraging for me to hear the pastor talking with the DS, the district superintendent, trying to make plans to plant a church because they saw that grace on my life. And I think that's important. I think people don't really go to their 
to their, to the, their spiritual fathers and ask them what get counsel. They don't go to their spiritual fathers and ask their opinion. They don't, they don't go to their spiritual fathers in hopes that God would communicate to them the same thing that he's communicating to you. And I, I truly believe that if Alan Deuce would have said, this is completely not what you need to be doing, and here's why. I think you should plant churches. I think that God's going to use you to plant churches. But I think there's some things in your life you need to be ready for. And he told me a few things that I needed to improve on. I'm not going to tell you because it's none of your business. But he told me a few things that I needed to improve on. But he said that those were not limiting factors for me stepping into what God had called me to do. But if he would have told me that, I would have stayed. I would have stayed 100%. I would not have moved without his confirmation. So here is Moses experiencing God. And the first thing he did was ask Jethro if he could do it. I'm here to tell you, whatever God asks you to do, do not embark on it unless you have the blessing of your spiritual father. This matters. This matters. When we talk about understanding how God speaks to us, it can be confusing at times. I want to break it down, uh, how, how a message, a revelatory word from God can get messed up as you work that out into your life. See, trust, we, we should trust re the revelation at its purest. It's when God speaks to us. That's when revelation is at its purest. We should trust the interpretation of that revelation less than the revelation itself. And we should trust the application less than the interpretation. And we should trust the timing less than everything. This is the way God works. So a lot of times God will reveal something to you, but we miss it. We miss it in the interpretation. We hear it. We see it. We have a vision of it. We understand it to a degree. We have a vision of it, but, but when it comes to interpreting how that's going to work out in our life, we tend to misplace it. This is where the enemy can come in and take you astray. And he will partner with you in a good and lead you away from God's original intent for you because we don't know how to interpret it properly. Another place you can miss it is when you begin to imply the revelation that you've interpreted. So we have a revelation, we, we have interpreted it, now we're trying to apply it, and, and even the enemy can come in there and he can get you off course. It is so easy that God will give you a word and somehow or another we end up 90 degrees off of where he was originally intended. It is through the interpretation, it is through the application, and I will be honest with you, some of us end up going completely the opposite direction because we don't know how to deal with timing. There's a reason why we have a board of directors. I'm just trying to be very honest and open about something that's very problematic in our world. And I hope this isn't boring you to tears. But I think this is something we really need to attack in the church. The reason why we have a board of directors is because I really do get visions of what God wants for our church. But sometimes I get off on the timing part. And I have people around me who will, who will help correct me and say, I believe in that. I support that. I'm going to financially support that. I'm going to support that with all my energy, Sean. But I think we have a timing issue here. I think we need more time. Many of us try to put a time on what, what has been revealed to us. Many of us try to hit the, the warp speed button to get to what we've seen because what we've seen 
tickles our fancy and amuses our heart. And I want you to understand, if you warp speed to what he's revealed, it will kill you. Because you cannot handle the weight of what he's revealed. You have to do it slowly. It takes time to get yourself ready. It takes time to get a, get a rump roast soft enough and moist enough and, and ready enough to be eaten. And the more time you spend to cook it, the better it tastes. Many of you men in here know this, that when you grill on the grill, cooking stuff fast doesn't make it tender. And we have insensitive people with hardened hearts because we want to go too quick. Many of us are like Pharaoh. Our hearts have been hardened. And let me tell you, what does that mean to me? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, God can give us a vision. And although it's meant to tender our hearts, it hardens our hearts because we want to do it in warp speed. And some of us have got to slow down we got to slow down. So how do we do this, Sean? How do we begin to take revelation in its purest form when we hear a word from God? How do we interpret that properly? How do we apply that properly? How do we do it in the proper time? That's why God put people in spiritual authority over your life. They can see stuff in your life that you can't see in your life. They can see stuff in your life that your family can't see in your life. They can see stuff in your life that your friends can't see. God has given them a window into your life to be able to see these things. A lot of times pastors aren't saying that you shouldn't do it or that you are not called. It may just be an issue of application. It may just be an issue of time. And so some of us need to slow down and we need to respect the process that God has put in place to help us to fulfill the prophetic call on our life. Okay, where am I at? Because I've kind of took a detour. Okay. When you return to the land of Egypt, Moses, I want you to do everything I told you and show them everything I showed you. Moses goes like, I got it, Lord. Now I'm going to go take a nap because I'm tired. So Moses goes into the encampment. He snuggles up in his tent. He falls asleep. And while Moses is asleep, it says in the Bible, the same God that commissioned him shows up to kill him. Now this is messed up. I tell you, for years this has been one of the most confusing, because I love Moses, but this has been one of the most confusing texts I have ever read in the Bible. Why was God coming to kill Moses? I believe it's because even though Moses had a destiny, Moses was about to bring flesh into his destiny. God says, I don't care how big your prophecy is. If you try to bring flesh into into my prophecy for your life, if you try to bring flesh into my promise, if you try to bring flesh into my vision and my dream for your life, then I'm going to take you out. See, some of us think the vision itself is enough. I want you to understand it's not enough. It's not enough. There are things that must be done for that vision to come true in your life. There is a walk that must be faithfully walked for that vision to come true in our life. And some of us, God wants to use us mightily for His kingdom, but He can't because there's flesh involved. Some of you, some of you in here today, and particularly those, I mean, just some of you in here today, 
have hit the ceiling of what God can accomplish with your life because there's some flesh in your life that needs to be cut out. Some of you think that, well, if I read more leadership blogs, if I, if I just understand more, if I read the Bible more, then, then, God, then God will be able to use me at a next level. I, some of you just feel like you're stuck in a rut, and you've been in that rut for 15 years. And I came here today to maybe say to you, it's possible that the reason you have not moved beyond where you were 15 years ago is because there is some area of flesh that needs to be removed before God can take you into the fullness of what He's prophetically proclaimed over your life. Uh, he can take you into the fullness of what he's promised for, for your life. And, and you're never going to achieve it until that area of flesh is cut out because God would rather kill you now than you take that flesh and, and, and into the promise and him have to kill you later. I, I, just, I mean, I don't know. This just sounds brutal, but it's just the way it is. Moses should have known that his eldest son should have been circumcised. There are two things that are important about circumcision, cutting of the flesh, cutting the flesh out of your life. There are two things that are important. Why is circumcision a part of the covenant of Israel? Why, I was asking myself, why the cutting of flesh of foreskins from the male's reproductive organ. God, why that? Why could you not have done just like a tattoo or a really weird haircut or something else? Like, why do we have to cut the flesh off of people's foreskins? Like, why are, are, are people's reproductive organs? Like, that's intense. Why that? Firstly, uh, so <laughs> parents, if you have kids there, this is going to be sex ed 101. But, um, a gynecologist tells us that men who are not circumcised have a higher probability of failing to impregnate their wife. Because excess flesh hinders the seed from reaching the egg. It is a natural contraceptive. Excess flesh hinders pregnancy. It doesn't stop it, but it hinders it. Some of you have been living a hindered life in the kingdom. And what God wants to do for you and through you, He cannot do because you have excess flesh in your life. God is trying to remove everything that would prevent you from bringing multiplication in your life. A seed can more easily get to where it's going Listen to me today, if there's not excess flesh. God says, I gave you a promise, but I can't get you pregnant with the promise because you got too much flesh in your life. Why did God establish covenant with the male reproductive organ? Good question, Sean. Why did he? Well, because the male reproductive organ is not an instrument of sexuality. It is an instrument of procreation. Its primary purpose is to procreate. And in the world today, we have turned this into something that it is not because we are full of flesh. So God establishes the covenant at the place. Listen to me. Write this down. God establishes His covenant with the Israelite people. He establishes His covenant at the place that the next generation begins. Oh man, this is so good. 
So every promise God makes with you, He doesn't make it for you. He makes the promise with you for your sons and your sons' sons and your sons' sons' sons. So God told Moses, you are about to walk into the promised land and you don't even care about what the promise was made for. And that's your own son. He said, I'm going to send a death angel and he is going to kill all of the uncircumcised. And your child is uncircumcised. And you are risking your own child's life because you are so intent and so focused on fulfilling your destiny that you've forgotten what the promise was actually made for in the first place, which is the next generation. And this is just like us today. We are so focused on us. A fleshly attitude where it's about us and how God's going to use us and how God's going to anoint us and how, God, how, how we're going to be used in, in, in our church and in the city. And it's all about us. And God has given us a vision, but that vision and promise always starts in the next generation. He makes it with you for the next generation. So if you have a vision today, today, if you have a vision, if you have a prophecy, if you have a call on your life, that was put there for the next generation. He made it with you, and he's going to use you to build a foundation that they may receive the promise that he told you about. Some of us, generation after generation after generation, we have failed to see the promise realized that was, that was cast over our life many years ago. Generation after generation has failed to see it because we thought it was all about us. And we did not do what was necessary to remove the flesh off our life so that when God showed up, see, God's trying to get us to a place where we realize it's not about us. We are dealing with a generation in the church today that is so consumed with themselves and their own ministry and their own anointing that they have forsaken the greatest ministry that resides in their very house. We have failed to be concerned for the next generation and for those to come. We have made comparative statements about our children and the way they function and the way they live and the choices they make and the things they're interested in. We, we spend most of our time insulting generations that are ahead of us, that are younger than us. We, we spend most of our time insulting that generation instead of building a foundation for them. We, you know what we're doing? We're flaunting how great we are and how stupid they are. See, many of you today, you thought, well, I'm, I'm a lot like Moses. I don't flaunt my encounters with God. It's interesting because then if you ask them about this generation today, what would they say about them? All they do is play video games and they don't know how to communicate and they don't know how to talk to you unless they're in a phone and texting somebody and they just insult them. Why? Because you think you're better than them. And God is saying, I need for us to get to a place where we start flaunting our personal encounters and we begin building something for the generation that we no longer respect. 
God is calling us to more. He's calling us beyond ourselves. God wants to kill you so that He can do something through you. God wants to remove the flesh out of your life so the seed can get to where it needs to get so that you can become pregnant with something for the next generation. We need to get to a place where we're concerned for the next generation and for those to come. So God comes to kill Moses because God would rather him die and not fulfill the promise than him fulfill the promise and not be able to partake in it because of flesh in his life. Let me put this in a way that's personal to you. God has no problem coming to kill you. Because God would rather you die and not fulfill the promise than you fulfill the promise and not be able to partake in it because of the flesh in your life. At least, and I believe God was saying this, at least if I kill you now, Moses, you've lost nothing because you have not gained fame yet. Do you know how much harder it would be for God to deal with the flesh in Moses' life if he was famous first? Some of you have, have been, God has put a stop on your life from God using you to the magnitude that he has revealed to you because, quite honestly, he has some flesh to deal with in your life. I mean, is, can anybody, I mean, does anybody out there have some flesh out there in your life like I do? And the more you're given a platform, the harder that flesh is to deal with. The more you begin to see your, yourself as an influencer, and the less you want to listen to how God really feels about you deep down inside. Some of us need to take a hard look at ourselves and understand, like many of us and like all of us, we have some flesh that God is trying to contend with that He wants to cut out of our life. I was wondering, God, why didn't you warn him first and tell him, if you don't circumcise your son, I'm going to kill you. And then I responded in my journal these things, and I'm going to read them to you today. God said, there are some things I ought not have to tell you. You ought not have to tell a pastor to keep his pants up. You ought not have to tell a pastor to stop cheating on his wife. While he's a pastor. While he's not a pastor too, but especially while he's a pastor. Sorry, I mean, I know that's two of the same thing, but you, you I mean, this, this is amazing how much this happens. But I shouldn't have, God shouldn't have to show up and tell pastors that. You ought not have to tell someone who's been in the church for 20 years to tithe. And some of you are at the place, he stop, he's going to stop warning. He's going to just stop curse, he's going to just start cursing and killing. I, I mean, I know this is not going to be, no one's going to share this sermon. I'll just be honest with you. And I, I've debated whether or not I'm going to say this or not, because some of you are sitting there and you're going, but we have Jesus. <laughs> yeah, maybe, baby. Baby, let me tell you something. You have Jesus, but he killed Jesus too. 
well, he killed Jesus for me so that God won't deal with my flesh. That's not, no, he prunes your flesh, baby. He prunes it. He gets rid of it. And I'm telling you today, God, for some of you, he's been dealing and contending with you long enough. And he don't need to warn you. He's just going to show up on your doorstep one day and he's going to start killing and cursing. Because God is a righteous judge, He's a jealous God, and there will be no other gods before Him. And the reality is, we have, we have proclaimed a gospel that we have made Him God, yet we have held on and worship all these other gods, and God does not contend with that lightly. We live in a generation where people have put other gods and we celebrate. He is, where we have made Jesus one of the gods that we serve. And God does not put up with that. He does not put up with it. And quite honestly, I question whether he's your God if you have many other gods. And God, when he deals with that, when he deals, when, when he deals with people that have made idols and, and made him one of the idols, he does stuff like grinds up golden cows and makes people drink it and kills them. God does not play games with that. And we live in a generation, and it comes to, there's going to come a place where our generation has, 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 has made Jesus a God to such a degree, and we've done whatever we wanted, and we've worshipped whatever we wanted, where he just has, says, enough's enough, and his wrath comes out on the earth. And we're close. I'm just telling you, I'm not an end-day, you know, doomsday guy, but I'm here to tell you, we're close. Our world has made idols out of everything, and God is just one of the little gods we serve. Jesus is just one of the little gods that we serve, and God is done. And the reason he isn't sending a warning is because you know better, and you've been here too long. It doesn't matter how great your destiny is, God will not allow you to fulfill it with flesh present. And some of you need to start, grab a rock, and you need to start cutting flesh out of your life. And I'm going to say this, and this is going to confuse half you in here today, but this actually has nothing to do with sin. His son not being circumcised was not an issue of sin. It was an issue of covenant. It was an issue of God saying, I will be this, and we making a declaration that we will do this. At salvation, there is... There is a covenant that happens, and one of it is a, is a unilateral covenant, and the other is a bilateral covenant, meaning that there is one part of salvation that we could not do on our own. Jesus had to come in the form of a man. He had to live without sin, and he had to die because we, proved, we had proven over and over and over again that we could not live without sin. This part of the covenant, God did on his own because he could not trust us to keep our end of the bargain and to live without sin. Jesus did that. But the other part of the covenant is that we would believe in Jesus and what he did and that we would make him Lord. That part of the covenant is on our end. And so God is calling us beyond this mamby-pamby, we-do-nothing, couch-potato kind of gospel where we believe in Jesus and do nothing. We believe in Jesus and, 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 and have whatever faith we want. We believe in Jesus and don't make him Lord. We believe in Jesus and he's one of the lords we serve. 
And, and God is looking at our life and He said, you made a covenant with me that you would make me Lord, that you would be led by the Spirit, that you would submit to His leadership. You would make me Lord. And God is fed up with the church that won't make Him Lord. He's sick of it. He said, I made a covenant with you and you made a covenant with me. This is an issue of covenant. This is an issue of a vow. This is an issue of a broken promise. The promise then was that, that every son would be circumcised on the eighth day. The, the promise now is that we would submit to his lordship. Some of you have sinned. Haven't, some, of, some of you haven't sinned. That's not the issue. That's not why God's coming to kill you. But when you got saved, you made a promise to him that you would submit to his lordship and you have failed to do so. It's that your vow has been broken. Your covenant with God has been broken. And notice this. Track with me. And I'm, I want to close with this. Because I don't even know what my time is, but I'm sure it's out. Notice this. Notice who grabbed the rock and cut the foreskin off. Notice that it was, listen, notice that it was his bride that did it. Now, in the Old Testament, we need to look at shadows and types so we know that bride in the New Testament is the church. So the reason why we have a generation of people that, 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 that have a bunch of flesh in their life, that live with a bunch of flesh in their life, is because we have a generation of people that no longer respect the church and its part in our life. And actually, if we come to church, we have, we have a generation of people that come to church but don't allow the church to deal with the skin in their life. That's why we're looking for messages that are simple, that aren't like messages like this. I'll tell you right now, this is going to be unpopular. I'm going to have all kinds of conversation about this sermon. But I want you to understand something. The point of the church is sometimes the church has to deal and contend with the flesh in your life. That's the point of the church. So you better get used to it because that's what we're supposed to be doing. So when you have private conversations with people, the goal should not be that they just agree with everything you say because so they don't frustrate you and ruffle your feathers and make you feel uncomfortable. No, you should have friends in your life that are willing to, to cut the skin, the flesh, out of your life. Not incubate the flesh. Think about that for a second. Think about the last time you went Ladies, think about last time you went with a group of ladies and you talked about stuff and you were honest about stuff. Did they deal with and contend and cut the flesh out of your life or were they just incubate the flesh? Give you excuses for your behavior and your attitude. Give you excuses. Let me tell you, as a pastor, one of the hardest things that I've been dealing with is when someone comes into my office who I know is truly being convicted and, and God is truly speaking to them to not talk them out of the conviction. But to let them sit in it. I had one, one lady that came to my office one time. And she had been using drugs. She had been using alcohol, bad drugs, alcohol, while she was pregnant. She came to our church and she was here and, uh, uh, and God began to speak to her. I don't even know if it had to do with sermon. A lot of times when God speaks to us, it's not even about the sermon. It just opens up a platform and a gateway for God to say something. And she came to my office and she said, God has been telling me that I murdered my child with my choices. And I am a murderer. How could God ever forgive me? Now, listen to me. 
it took everything in my power to not talk her out of that. But the truth is, she made choices that killed her child. Now, we want people to feel comfortable when we're talking to them. We don't want to be uncomfortable in the conversation. We don't want people to feel like God doesn't love them. This is not an issue of whether God loves them or not, but it is an issue that when God speaks truth, it speaks directly to our heart, and it challenges us, and it makes us uncomfortable. That's why people don't read the Bible. It isn't because they're not readers. They don't read this because it convicts them. And God is not scared to come kill the part of you that makes someone else uncomfortable that's dying in you. It makes people uncomfortable that you're becoming better. Some of you have friends that used to run and do drugs and, and, and party together. And you stopped. And it made them uncomfortable. Because people are uncomfortable when you try to become the best version of yourself that you can be. And I want you to understand, some of us need to quit talking our friends and family. We need, to, we need to quit talking people out of their conviction. And we need to understand that God is just, and he was trying to help us eliminate the flesh in our life so that we can fulfill the prophetic vision and promise he has for our life. And so it is the purpose of the church to identify the flesh in your life. Some of you are not going to like some conversations you have with leaders in this church. Because it is not our purpose to be your friend. It is our purpose to lead you and help you understand the parts in your life that are preventing you from becoming all that God wants you to be. We want to help you with the thing that's hindering you from fulfilling the purpose and plan and mandate of God for your life. Listen, in closing, the flesh kills and blocks the seed. The flesh blocks the seed. And God wants to contend and deal with the flesh in you. Well, we love you very much. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for your word. God, I'm okay with a challenging word because I am aware of the fact that I am not even close to perfect. And if I am able to sit under your word and not be challenged, I have a false idea of my identity. For I have many issues. Yes, Jesus makes me perfect and holy and righteous in the spirit. But the reality is, I have a lot of flesh that he's still trying to contend with. God, kill that part in me. So that, I, so that the spirit that is made righteous in me might thrive and survive and live. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.